Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode on Founders Tribe, a podcast production presented by thestartupchef.com. This is once again your host, Sven Milder, and like every week, I invite inspiring global movers and shakers to the show to casually chat about successful strategies they have deployed to found and build awesome businesses and live fulfilling lives. At The Startup Chef, we are on a mission to elevate and inspire 100,000 founders globally to help them shortcut their road to success by offering easy access to investment capital and world-class expertise. If you want to discover more or download one of our free resources that can help you propel your business forward, visit us at thestartupchef.com. Thestartupchef.com. Now, without further ado, let's jump straight into today's episode. Hey guys, welcome at another podcast episode today where I have my special friends and also serial entrepreneur, I always would like to say, Ilya Kratzkov. Super thank you and welcome to be in today's episode where, of course, we're going to talk about fundraising. We're going to talk about how you have skilled your businesses. We're going to talk about you in person here being in Southeast Asia. But before all of that, I would first like to give a small introduction here. Ilya is the CEO of Pouchination, a contactless payments on events. That's how it all started, but it has been going everywhere all over the place. But more about that later. Um, he expanded his business in around six countries in Southeast Asia and has in his free time as well, all of the time to mentor other startups through the plug and play program. And what I always like, and that's also why I wanted to have him in today's show, is that it feels that he's always going with the trend and he's always on the new stuff, right? I mean, Ilya, welcome to the show. Thank um, you. I would like to straight on jump into it. I still remember that we were having a conversation in Jakarta. Uh, and then, you know, as one of these entrepreneurs always sniffing on the new opportunities, you're having these uh, ICOs and currently you're literally smashing it on Indiegogo and you have uh, been doing a fundraising where your campaign is 800% overfunded. Uh, I just briefly mentioned it as well. You have skilled your company into six countries in Southeast Asia. Um, truly respect for what you're doing, right? But let's let's start. How do you keep always on the trends, right? What what is the thing that you're always now? It's again Indiegogo. You're looking for these alternative ways how you get your company to the next level. Yeah. Well, th first of all, thanks a lot for having me on this podcast. Uh, so. Look, I mean, it's 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 challenging, right? It's challenging to do something new all the time, but I think this is probably why I've started, you know, you know, being an entrepreneur because you know you kind of have this inner desire to to always innovate and you know put out in the market something that you know hasn't been there before, and uh, and I think that's probably one of my main uh, drivers and motivation to to do things like that, right? So. I mean, I think there are different different founders in general, right? There are some founders who look for new opportunities, some founders who really, you know, feel the pain uh, of certain problems and want to solve them, right? Uh, for me, it's it's really about technology, it's about innovation, it's about, uh, you know, coming up with uh, new solutions that people think are exciting. And of course, on the other hand, you know, that can help a little bit the world, right? So that's why... Uh, you know, our latest product also on Indiegogo that you mentioned. So before before we're going to talk more about that, because in my opinion, it hits exactly 
the nerve right now. I mean, the pouch pass is one of your latest uh, products. But for those who don't know Ilya, right, uh, you have been starting Pouch Nation as a contactless way for uh, people to pay on events, right? Can you tell me a little bit about your journey, how you went from um, Axiata, actually starting your own company and bringing it through the different kind of milestones we are currently at? Well, yeah, you're right. I mean, my, my background in general is, is in uh, telcos, right? So I've been working uh, with large telecom operators across the world, uh, both in, in uh, Sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia and Middle East. And, uh, you know, what I loved about telcos is that, you know, they have a huge amount of data, right, that, uh, you know, they gather. And, uh, and I was always thinking, you know, is there a way of, you know, thinking more, uh, from a data-driven perspective in other more traditional sectors, right? Mm. And this is how the, the whole initial idea of Pouch Nation started, is we were, we're looking at different sectors and we saw a major opportunity in Southeast Asia in the you know mass participation event space, right? Uh, Southeast Asia is, you know, quite particular. It's summer, summer all year round, right? So there's a lot of events happening outdoors and that attract large crowds, right? Yeah. And, uh, and uh, you know, they, they often happen in remote locations and so on and so forth. And uh, we've seen that those, uh, you know, events are very kind of traditional, meaning that, you know, there's not technology being used. Uh, often, like, money disappears from the bars, uh, from an F&B. So a lot of inefficiencies, really. And, uh, but on the other hand, the, the target segment of those events is millennials. It's something very interesting. is the upcoming middle class. Uh, so I saw the opportunity of kind of developing a technology for that space uh, that can solve the pain points of efficiency of events on one hand, uh, and on the other hand, uh, also to gather a lot of interesting data uh, that, um, you know, on that specific uh, offline uh, sector, right? So this is how we, we kind of kicked off, uh, and that was about, what, already five, six years ago, so time flies. <laughs> time flies, man. We also know each other already for a while, yeah. Correct, correct. So, and you know, we started that, and I think that the basis of the company was more on what we define uh, crowd uh, crowd control and contactless uh, payments, because we've been uh, you know using NFC wristbands for those large scale uh, events. Uh, so you you know forget about paper tickets; everything was digital. You know your your entry was programmed on your band, and you know and your your wallet was also programmed on the band, so you could just go inside the, the festival or the concert and use the wristband for payment, right? And that kind of you know we did that for a long time, uh, for four or five years, and became quite successful in Southeast Asia. So in terms of you know managed to get the biggest events. Uh, things like Zook out in Singapore for, you know, for the Singaporean audience who might be listening or, you know, sensation wide, a lot of events, you know, a lot of like EDM concerts as well. Yeah. Right. So, so this is kind of was our core. And then, um, you know, what happened recently is obviously, you know, we've been struck by this pandemic, which, you know, I call it the largest event of our lifetime. Right. Beautiful and, 2020 reminder year. Right. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, and the, and what we realized is that look, at the end of the day, crowd control and contactless payments is something that before we were using with for a very specific use case of mass participation events, but now our market size grew ten, you know, probably a, a thousand x because wherever I go, there is screening at the door, there are checks, and you know nobody wants to pay cash anymore; it's all contactless. Uh, so I thought, wow, this is a way for us to kind of innovate as well, right? So that's kind of how the, the latest product came into, into 
is that is did that idea uh, because I think idea generation in startups and being innovative constantly in order to entertain your investors and to entertain uh, your users, but also create new revenue streams is, is extremely important. But can you walk me a little bit through how that idea literally started? Of course, it's COVID, right? But what was that aha moment that you feel like, hey, this, is, this, is, this, this could be something? Look, I think the aha moment is more, so I think in any type, even when you start your company from zero or if you're already, uh, you know, four or five years in, and if you want to reinvent yourself and innovate and keep on doing something new, you need to go back to basically understanding what is your core competency, right? And I think this is very important, right? If you start a company, you need to be an expert in something, right? And that will make your life a lot easier. It doesn't mean that you cannot learn new stuff or learn from a new industry, but you need to have an area of expertise, right? So for us, we knew that our area of expertise was, you know, software and wearables. Uh, and we said, okay, you know, what can we do that is within that area of expertise that can be more relevant for, for, for today, right? And I think uh, we started uh, looking at, uh, you know, solutions that can in basically enhance the uh, access control, uh, you know, feature that, uh, you know, is required. Um, and we know that a lot of governments are now requiring everybody to do temperature checks and contact tracing and all that. Mm -hmm. So we said, okay, how, how can we solve these particular two problems of temperature checks and contact tracing in a more efficient way? Right. And, and this is where we said, OK, look, let's is it possible to you know, do it through a wearable? Right. And uh, we started looking at a lot of hardware solutions, um, a lot of. Um, so it was a lot of research, I have to say, to, from a certain perspective. Right. And uh, understanding whether it's even possible to measure you know, temperature from your wrist. Right. It's uh, it's not as simple to, to kind of to do. Right. Uh, so I think there was a lot of different question marks we had. We knew that there were some sensors available in the market that could measure, uh, you know, temperature for, of your wrist, but not necessarily your core body temperature. And then we said, okay, let's let's give it a shot, right? You know, and especially in these times, I think a lot of companies suffer, but a lot of companies also reinvent themselves. So it's kind of tabula rasa. So you can, there's a lot of new opportunity out there. So the moment where we actually kind of this aha moment is say, look, nothing to lose. It doesn't cost us a lot of effort, right? Let's try it for one or two months and see how it goes. So that's kind of how we kind of we started with this newest product. For me, it was uh, being very proud of you uh, when I first saw this passing by, because I, I literally saw all of the opportunities that are that are actually possible through this new innovation. Previously, you were very much focused on events. People, yeah. people, locations where people are coming together and simplifying their experience to uh, to make the payments. Very useful for girls. You don't need to bring the bags anymore, right? There's there's a lot of user cases that you that you can use this for the event organizers. And then when I first encountered this initiative, I thought like, okay, now Pouch Nation has the power to not only be a safety tool for people and also not sell your uh, skin a little bit to the devil because of course if we do everything on our smartphones i mean smartphones track a lot but the wearable keeps it a bit more remotely and what i thought like if people all start wearing this from a uh, protective uh, motivation then naturally you can build a whole ecosystem around where people later on 
being able to do their payment in a, in, in a certain way without using their Apple Pay or their Gold Pay or whatsoever, right? So have you been thinking about that as well? Or what? <laughs> Look, I, I actually, yeah, I, I have been thinking and in general, uh, obviously everything happens so quickly. And then, you know, some, we had, I had some recent conversations with a few of, uh, you know, uh, investors that I've been knowing for a while. And I think one thing that resonated uh, is that, you know, one of the investors we've been talking, he's saying, look, uh, 20 years ago, somebody put a, a bomb in a, in a shoe and then tried to go uh, board an airplane, right? It, it happened once, maybe 20 years ago. But since then, for 20 years, every time we board an airplane, we need to take our shoes off, <laughs> right? So she, she was saying, look, certain things that happen, uh, you know, really kind of uh, change the world. And he was saying, look, this, this pandemic will change the world right in in one way or another and even if it goes away it's you know the, the habits are there to stay for a long time right and this is basically where our rest where our thinking is also going right so what i believe in in long term obviously now we you know we have we can you know monitor your body temperature we can monitor who you've been in contact with obviously following the privacy standards but where i think it's all going is what i call you know digital health identity right i think in, in inevitably in the future you know, wherever you buy an insurance or wherever you board an airplane, people will want to know your, your, your health track. Right? You have records, right? And We're done with all of the forms. It just needs to be there, right? <laughs> yeah, it, I, and it cannot be paper forms. It has to be more automated. It has to be more digital. And I think this is the space where particularly um, for me is interesting, right? Because it's how do you create that digital health identity, which is on one hand is very, how to say, uh, privacy compliant, on the other hand, is is useful information to to avoid things like you know spreading of pandemics and and things like that, right? So w what is the balance there, and how can you make it work, right? So that's basically the long term thinking, I think, where where this goes goes to. Awesome, awesome, awesome. I think you illustrate super well that if if nobody goes to an event, that you reinvent your own wheel and now create a whole new market. So. Uh, I'm very happy to follow this journey as well. I would like to take this opportunity. The campaign on Indiegogo is still live, right? At the time that we are recording this podcast is on the Tuesday. I forgot the date, 18th of August. So if you want to have your hands on one of these amazing uh, wearables and be uh, joining the journey, actually, how these digital health is going to improve and how this company is going to the next level. I will definitely um, add it to the show notes so people can follow up and uh, take care that the 800% overfunded becomes maybe, who knows, 2,000% overfunded through the, our audience. And this brings me as well back to uh, alternative ways of funding. I mean, you have closed your last Theory B round in February, if I'm not mistaken, uh, before before the, the call, we were also checking in like, okay, hey, how's the fundraising doing? He's like, okay, I wasn't even able to close remotely my investment deal. So uh, think things are going very well. You did before the ICO that was to raise money. You're currently raising money through Indiegogo. Um, a lot of people are going the traditional route into VC land, investor land. How is your experience with the alternative ways of funding and what is your opinion about that? Yeah, I think, look, I think uh, you need to be creative here as well, right? So, and I think sometimes when I, you know, as part of the plug and play uh, accelerator, when I mentor startups that are just starting out, 
say, look, first of all, you need to know what type of company you want to build, right? I think that's the key thing that you need to kind of clarify for yourself. Do you want to build a company which is, you know, a, 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 you know, a unicorn? Do you want to build a company which is highly profitable and you pay yourself dividends? Uh, you know, do you, what do you want, right? And, and I think that is something that I think a lot of people forget when they start their businesses, right? They say, okay, I want to make money, but what do you actually, there's different ways of making money as well, right? There's ways of selling the company, you know, being profitable and so on and so forth. So I think this is the first question that I think people need to answer, right? And, and of course the answer is conditioned by, you know, certain industries, right? In certain industries, especially if you go, you know, very consumer, then, you know, you will need a lot of funding and you will need to appeal to certain type of in, investors, right? But, uh, but I think there's, uh, you know, in my opinion, there's a lot of different, uh, you know, channels to fundraise, right? Uh, obviously, one is, you know, friends and family, you know, that's, that's, mm, doesn't go away. And usually, you know, as long as, uh, you know, you, you're very transparent that this is can be lost money, then, you know, you're good to go. <laughs> to lose, yeah, yeah uh, that's one. I mean, obviously, then you have your angel investors that are individuals that are backing companies, and they do have spare money. And they, you know, they usually have seen from my experience, they're very helpful. Uh, they just give you the money, they support you in whatever your journey is. Um, obviously, there is uh, you know, other things like VCs, right? Uh, they, they can give you a lot of money. They can give you also pressure that sometimes you might need, right? Uh, if you really want to build a, a big company. Uh, so they will be, you know, tracking your KPIs and all that. But uh, so that's, of course, another one. And then there's, you know, other things like strategic investments, you know, where you, you just raise money from somebody, not because necessarily of the money, but because of you want to align interests and make sure that, you know, it becomes also your partner for your business, right? And, uh, you know, the fact that you co-own each other or the, the, the strategic investment also share in your business makes it more relevant that, you know, he's not going to run away from the partnership. Right. Uh, but beyond that, uh, you know, obviously we knew that there was a wave of uh, crypto. People have been raising money there. Uh, and uh, but also things like Indiegogo or Republic.co, uh, another uh, platform in the U.S., are alternative ways of fundraising. Right. And basically they are divided. The crowdfunding ways of fundraising are divided mainly in two. One is where you sell your product before it's fully ready. Right. And this is more your Kickstarter, your Indiegogo. Um, um, platforms and the other one is more uh, uh, republic.com I think it's called where you fundraise through um, basically you, you give out your equity uh, and it's still a crowdfunding mm. platform so those two uh, work slightly different right uh, so one is really you're giving out equity the other one you don't need to give any equity you say look I'm going to launch this amazing product and I want people to back me up Right. And I'm going to give you something extra, big discount or, you know, free service for a year if you back my campaign. Right. And this is, you know, and we've seen that Kickstarter and Indiegogo have been ex extremely successful in attracting funds. I think Indiegogo attracted more than several billion dollars and, and right. uh, yeah. Kickstarter even more than that. Right. So, so th those are ways for people to also test whether their, their idea uh, can work and whether people react. I think one important message is like, I think uh, Gillette, which had all the money in the world, launched a Kickstarter or Indiegogo campaign just to check whether the new product had appeal to the market, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not always, you know, this kind of alternative fundraising methods, they solve other problems as well. So they don't only solve the fact that, you know, you, you can collect money, which is always great, but you can also collect feedback from the market. Which sometimes, you know, VCs, yeah, they might have an idea. Yeah, they like you or they don't like you, but they are not the market, 
All right. So we know that the final truth is is the market, right? So that's also another advantage of those campaigns. I think I think because this this sounds of course music to my ears. We are helping startups to to raise cash uh, from family offices to venture capital um, and everything in between. But what I what I you know what I really think that each founder should do is not only focusing on the money itself. Money is the tool, yes but also try to engineer where they get the money from. So I can imagine you're mentioning validation could be a reason for, for crowdfunding, but it could also be very well a, a way to get additional press, right? Uh, that you choose uh, Indiegogo in this, in this case, where you have a consumer uh, wearable for your company. Uh, you would like to illustrate as well to your investor base, but also everybody else who's seen, okay, we are out there. So I think it's really about, oh, I need a million dollars. I'm gonna get X amount of dollars from this party. Uh, I'm looking for strategic interest uh, from a, a partnership that can uh, catapult into the next level. And we're locating $100,000 into a, uh, a crowdfunding campaign, right? So it's more like putting the right ingredients again together and not only focusing on the VC as being the only way because yeah, the VC it comes with a lot of expectations, right? Yeah. I think that I think that's uh, that's definitely a key point. Um, so, if you see, because this is just one thing that comes up in my mind, I think last week in the news you have 100% uh, see it coming by. Personally, I'm not a big gamer. Are you a big gamer? My wife is, but I'm not not much. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you, have you heard the story about Fortnite? No, I haven't. What happened there? Oh, okay. So you know Fortnite, right? Yeah. yeah. Fortnite, um, multi-billion dollar company, uh, insane, have right 350 million um, uh, players worldwide. And what happened is that um, they need to pay between 15 and 30% to Apple or Android for all of the, the, the in-app purchases, right? So you're talking literally about hundreds and millions of dollars that are going to Apple and Google without them doing really a thing while this, 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 this the, uh, Fortnite is already established. So what they did is they created an alternative way and they incentivized their users to buy the guns, you know, the special, the special game, the special weapons uh, through an alternative source. And therefore they were uh, not going through the traditional route of Apple or Google. Now, then they, they, they did a lawsuit. So they fired, of course, a lawsuit to Google and to um, um, uh, Apple for the specific reason that they have a monopoly in the market yeah. and that they should yeah, they should re-evaluate that. Now, you can imagine if you have 340 million users, including your wife, being desperate to go playing that game where they spend a lot of their time in, they suddenly not able to play the game. It has a huge impact. So now they have 340 million people who are knocking the door of Apple. And indeed, Apple and Google is insane for taking a monopoly position in the market. So whatever the outcome will be of this lawsuit, um, it will be a gigantic PR stunt where Fortnite can put themselves on the stage through uh, through the specific um, uh, example. So 
my point here is like, okay, how do you use the PR or the media to really catapult your company into the other direction? Do you use these kind of strategies or what would be strategies that you could use? Because I think it's extremely powerful uh, putting your company in the media. It seems that you're doing very well, but it's all about storytelling. Yeah. No, look, I, I think you're right. I think, uh, you know, you're the, again, it goes back to what are your objectives are, right? So I think I've seen some startups are extremely out there in the media a lot. Uh, some startups are a bit more shy and just trying to do their work. I think it, it depends what you are trying to achieve and, uh, and why you want to be in the media, right? What's your main objective, right? So obviously, if you are a B2C company, being in the media is, uh, is very re relevant, right? Because you reach out to bigger audiences, you get, you know, they get to know, each, uh, you know, your company and so on. Even for B2B is still relevant in terms of like, you know, the custom, bigger customers can see validation through articles and all that. So I think overall, it's, it's still, you know, whether you like it or not, or depending on your objective is something great to have, but to what degree you want to be in the media, uh, it, it of course depends what you want to achieve. In our case, I think, uh, you know, Indiegogo is obviously also a media platform in that sense. So they, yeah. they promote you through their newsletters, they promote you through their social media posts, they promote you through their platform. And obviously they have a lot of users. And, uh, and I think in our case, we just, the reason why we decided to go with them is that we realized that our product was, was a global product, uh, was very scalable in terms of the only thing you need is a, is a software, is an app, which you can download for free, and then a band that you can ship anywhere in the world, right? Yeah. Uh, and we realized that, okay, why would we limit ourselves only to Southeast Asia, right? Before we were anchored because once you do an event it's a physical event you have to be you, know, you have to put your tech there right now and of course we we are not beforehand you know our business was quite famous uh, within our area was quite famous in southeast asia but not in europe or us and so on and so forth right and uh, if you are building a hardware product us is a huge market for that uh, you know europe is also big so that was for us a, a conscious tool to go outside southeast asia try to build from Southeast Asia, something a bit more global that consumers, you know, in Middle East uh, or, you know, US, Europe can use. And, uh, and that's why we decided to go with that platform, all right? So I think it's, again, uh, I would invite all the entrepreneurs to think a little bit outside the boxes and how, you know, media can propel you or certain platforms can propel you for really global reach and scaling businesses globally. And it only makes sense for certain businesses, right? Yeah. Yeah. If you have a very scalable business and that you don't require any problems, sure, go for it. If you have not a very scalable business, then you know there's no point of going in ten countries or and so on and so forth, right? But have you seen Have you seen a lot of orders coming in from places that you would never expect to become your client? Yeah, so it's actually very interesting. So obviously, it has been a very steep learning curve from us. So the way, actually, something important maybe for for the listeners to kind of understand how campaigns, uh, if you want to launch your product on Indiegogo or Kickstarter, how it works. So what the way it works is you need to set yourself a, a target on how much you want to raise, right? So that's, let's say you want to raise $100,000, right? Then what, what, uh, what happens is usually the rule is that in the first few days, you need to raise at least 20 to 30% of that, of that target. Right. And, uh, and then in order to raise, uh, um, so that's usually the rule, you would raise like 20, 30% in the first couple of days. And then in, during the remaining of the campaign, you raise the remaining two thirds. 
Uh, and in order to raise this, uh, uh, you know, one third in the in the first few days, you need to start preparing in advance. All right. So obviously it's a whole world, right? So you you can uh, you know start preparing by yourself, but you can also engage. There's a lot of digital agencies that specialize specifically in that. Uh, there's a lot of uh, PR agencies specializing in that. Um, but what is important is that before like um, your campaign starts, you need to start collecting interest, right? And this is where you need to start to do you know probably digital advertising or any other means you might want to do in order to collect an email list of customers that want your product and will buy your product in day one, right? So it's creating that hype that is very important, right? So this is something that was new when I first kind of said, okay, yeah, we just launched it on Indiegogo and then we see, no, there is a whole strategy behind a methodology, which I think many people might not know. And it's a whole big industry, right? So obviously the, the more time you have to prepare, the more you can build that, database and that interest and to answer your questions when we started building that interest we, we discovered a lot of things uh, first we discovered first we discovered that our product was very requested by families right i was thinking more of an individual you know tech savvy guy and like me and you and we could just like have something cool and new but then no we, we saw that you know people who were reacting to our ads on facebook were mainly moms uh you know married you know 30, 32, 40 years old, and so on and so forth. So that was a new discovery. And then certain markets surprised us. Like we had an amazing response from South Africa, just an amazing response. Wow, yeah. <laughs> I don't know whether it was linked because they had a, a COVID uh, situation going on there, or it, but the response, we've been bombarded by messages from South Africa saying, I want this product, I want it for my family, I want it for my business, I want to be a reseller, I want to be a distributor. So that was one of the big surprises. Yeah. This is very interesting to see where this is going, right? Because you were the tech company, you had the wearable, um, you were previously before very much focused on events, and now you become more like a family play, right? So you could almost say, which is now a little bit something that we are not that we're thinking about but not really likely is that hey let's go to an event but let's say in nine months from now or six months from now when there's new regulations where everything is better controlled and the events are uh, starting up again then we could almost see that your your first target group was very much i guess 20 ish to 30 plus ish 35 is let's say they're going really a house party and go full for it and now you have your other product which is really facilitating young moms, young families, which let's say if people are five years old, right? They have a mother of around uh, 30. So you have now a new target group between 30 and 45. Super interesting to see how that will play out uh, in the future actually. And what kind of um, licensing contracts there will be coming, right? And what you say, people there are, let's say, hey, can we become resellers? So I can imagine almost that, they, that there's a reselling program, and uh, yeah, as soon as you buy um, the, the sorry the, the bracelet, yeah, automatically you have the app. Then people want to host maybe events in South Africa which you don't even know, and they can use the same bracelets again, right? So I think yeah, we, we we actually have received very recently a request for a thirty thousand people or even more event in the U.S. using the bands, right? So. And, and look, once you start marketing your product globally, you start like, it's very interesting. My team before was, you know, constantly in touch with like the local clients like Singapore, whatever, Thailand, Indonesia, and so on. But now they are calls with Turkey, Israel, 
uh, New York, right? So you, people reach out big time. And this is what I also think important for startups that might be starting their business. I think, and this goes back to your original question of op opportunity, innovation, and so on. Sometimes I feel that we, okay, we're all founders and we want to persevere and we want to bang our head against the wall to crack the problem. But sometimes it's also a, a problem that, right? Because if you keep on kind of banging your head against the wall in something that would never be able to, to, to function, right? Then it's useless. Right? And this is also where you realize that if you, if you uh, it's all about timing. If your timing is good, then with a lot less effort, you can get a lot more results. Right. Yeah. This is something that, you know, I would invite everybody to think about or whatever they wave. Wave. You know, yeah. yeah. Well, it's a wave. It's a need. Right. Are you addressing a burning need in the market? Right. If, or not. And this is sometimes, you know, when I first started my business, I never thought it that way. I was like, OK, I want to create a cool product and I think people will use it. Right. You never really go back to say, OK, but how burning is that need? Right. How can uh, you know, are really people going to use it? Do they really need it or they're OK like that? This is what I think some I would invite all entrepreneurs to really reflect on is the so-called product market fit, right? Mm -hmm. We sometimes we forget about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 what I like about what you, what we were talking about uh, catching the wave, right? I mean, how I a lot of times one of the analogy that I'm using is like, okay, you need to see a waterfall in front of you, right? And the water uh, goes down, but if there's too much bricks in the water, then you then the water becomes very restless, restless like the rafting, right? So our goal as founders is truly to get the, the big bricks out of the water so the water can start going faster and faster and faster. And then you will see, uh, like you have right now, that you, ha that you have the ability to come up with completely new ideas in, in high speed. I mean, I think that is, uh, um, that's what's happening here, right? You, you're, you're, you're seeing the opportunity, you're diving into it, um, uh, you're innovating along and, you know, I think maybe you don't even have yourself an idea where it will go, but the user cases, yeah, could be, could be endless, right? I mean, it's that, that is, um, that yeah. Is and, and you need to use also the, these opportunities like that to basically enter new segments or enter new territories or, you know, verticals, because, you know, like if you want to develop, let's say product for schools, right? I could go back and start developing something for schools and then, you know, hit my head hard and go and try to sell it to schools. Right. And, you know, eventually I might succeed, but it might take me years. Right. Now, if I go to schools, I said, look, I can easily monitor all your kids temperature. Da, 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 da. By the way, I can also have your, you know, cashless canteen or contactless canteen. Yeah. Then it, wow. Okay. Makes sense. Right. And it, it's a lot easier to kind of, get there rather than just go, Oh, I'll, you know, make your cashless continue. Yeah, sure. But uh, I don't know, maybe next year we're not too much yeah. in a rush. Right. But now you, have a, yeah. you have a clear upselling opportunities because your way in is very clear. Right. Yeah. And, and, and in this case, it's, it's just a good thing. But of course, you know, sometimes also not really nice. You're using a little bit the fear, right? There's fear. What happens to me? So even if you would like to scale up your pouch nation now to, to other geographies in the terms of events. I can imagine that a lot of international event organizers would love to use Pouch Nation currently and putting on top of their posters like, okay, our bands, our wristbands are temperature control. So we know exactly what is happening and how safe our events actually are. And then you start with the brick of safety and then the rest of, of Pouch Nation 
together with the pouch pass with all the convenience of contactless payments yeah is actually a very nice add-on right so correct correct no look i think i think to be honest with you it's true i mean and there's a lot of debate also like we've been following our forums online you know some people say uh, and this is like, you know, a very kind of becomes an ethical problem. Oh, you guys are trying to make money on the virus, right? And, and you know, and but some other people say, no, hold on. Look, they're actually trying to, to help businesses go back and, and start operating, right? So it really depends how, I mean, of course, the whole virus is very sensitive, right? It's true, you know, uh, but depends how you look at it. I mean, first of all, I think it's very important that whatever you charge or whatever product you put out in the market is affordable. And I think that's yeah. what we're also trying to do. I mean, when we're not like charging a hundred bucks or 300 bucks are, are, are wearables. I mean, they're pretty affordable for the masses. Yeah. And I think that already shows that, you know, our main objective is actually to try to, you know, support businesses, go back, uh, make sure that, you know, families, uh, you know, have a peace of mind. And, and I think this is what, what we are trying to stand behind, right? But of course, in this climate, there's a lot of different, you know, debates around, you know, products that are being released that are kind of related to the pandemic, right? I think that's just the negativity of, of, of some humans, right? We, you know, where there are success, there's haters. Uh, and every logical thinking person, at least in my opinion, uh, and if they say like, okay, this is, this is, you're taking advantage of the virus, I think you're doing something amazing. And I would say, 100% take the wave for all the opportunities that are that are coming into your direction. Just just a few things, right? Because I'm always I always like it to see how how dynamic you and your personality and innovating you are. So, what is the way Ilya stays sane, right? You I mean you're doing this now for seven years? You're also running a mentorship for the plug and play program, which helps founders to 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 start up and scale their programs. You're jumping in all of these new things. Um, you're running a remote company, which I'm definitely also want to talk about with you, but how do you stay sane? How, what are your key routines as a CEO to just get the maximum output out of you yourself, Ilya? Well, that's, that's challenging, right? So obviously <laughs> I think it's a, you know, I think it's about, um, uh, obviously there needs to be a, a level of discipline, right? If you are not disciplined, then, uh, it's, it's going to be difficult, right? If you, you know, and I think uh, methodology, discipline, per, personal discipline is important. Um, you know, routines to a certain degree are also important. Um, I think, uh, you know, obviously uh, it's, it's tiring, man. It's tiring. I, I, I cannot deny that. It's tiring to do a lot of things. But uh, for me, it's a matter of, uh, you know, structuring my week, you know, what I do. And maybe that can help help also, like, I on a, usually during the weekend, you know, I, I don't work much, but you know, what I do is I, I try to plan my week uh, to know exactly what's going to happen when. So I pace it out. Right. Can you visualize it as well. Are you I actually, well, you know what I do? I have a, I have an Excel template that I created, which I can see five days of the week. And I divide it between, I put there my meetings. I have the calendar, but I still put it in the Excel because it makes me remember that I have a meeting. And then I put the two kind of like um, try to spread my to do's by the days of the week. Right. And I divide them between personal to do's and, you know, work related to do's. Right. So kind of, and I do it that during the weekend. So every day I wake up, I open my Excel and I know more or less what I need to do, uh, you know, on personal stuff and et cetera. So I think that helps me to, to plan my week. Uh, 
I do exercise a lot because I think we are all now stuck at home. So uh, I try to... Biceps? This is also recorded. You can show your biceps. <laughs> no, no, there's not much. <laughs> Uh, you know, I think it's uh, personally like uh, physical exercise keeps me like distracts me because we tend to be all, all the time on our phones or laptops. And I think it's very important. Um, so uh, and then, of course, you try to create time for things that you want to do, because, you know, life is too short just to do one thing. Right. And meaning that you have to do one thing, and you have to do it well. But, you know, like uh, spending time with other startups, uh, for example, as plug and play, it's not a paid role or anything, but I just enjoy it. Uh, you know, I see new models. I see some patterns. It's, it's also learning. Right. So I think that there is a combination of discipline, uh, curiosity, I would say. Um, and, uh, you know, that gives you that motivation to um, kind of be mentally sane, right? Because otherwise you, you can really feel all the pressure and the negativity, as you can say, because, you know, as a founder, you're constantly bombarded by, you know, negative messages as well, right? And, and pressure and uh, uncertainty and all. So it's, it's not an easy thing, right? So, but it kind of gets you get your thick skin right after a few years so, are you, are you, so how far are you planning your business activities ahead look i think it's 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 uh it really depends i think nowadays it's very difficult to plan ahead uh for a long time because obviously you know uh you never know what what's what's going to happen right is it lockdown and reopening or we, so i you know usually i like to see where it should go like a long term like a one year plan at least i know where it's going uh, and then but i think on the tactical initiatives i think it's uh, you, you know i'm usually planning at least every two two months two three months not longer than that because it's very difficult to predict where you're going to be in the next two to three months right so i don't i cannot say i have like a one-year plan and i know everything is going to happen uh if you have a more stable business in a more normal environment yes you can do that you say okay this is my next year plan i stick to it i just push on the execution and so on mm-hmm. but in in this environment it's extremely volatile so it's very hard to do that Hey, and um, coming back to indeed the planning, right? So your current team size is at this moment? Uh, we are about uh, 60 people. 60 people. And you're, we were discussing it. It's all remote driven. Um, you were sharing the remote culture has already been starting a while ago. So can you, can you teach people that what is the, what's your holy, you know, what's your secret sauce to get all of your, your team engaged, uh, let them perform very well, uh, dialing into the vision, you know? I think that that's a topic that everybody is dealing with. We have great ideas, but there's a human connection that we're missing. And, and how do you keep that and thrive on that wave again? Look, I think uh, it's obviously it's not easy, right? I think it's not easy to uh, cascade down your vision to get people motivated get them behind a certain target a certain objective actually i think like just to give an example of the indiegogo campaign was a good example because you know people like we had like sales teams for for a while and you know they were trying to sell but then you know like the uh, the the b2b sales were not coming that fast because they were saying yeah sure i can buy it later just you know maybe next week the week after and it was kind of dragging right so then, you know, I said, no, no, guys, we're going to launch our Indica campaign on the 4th, right? So we are going to launch. There will be these prices. You know, after a while, the early bird price is going to expire. There will be new prices. So we have to go all out, right? So whatever co- discussions you might have, 
you know, just tell them that that's it. You know, if they yeah. want, they need to get it. Right. Yeah. And that was a good objective where kind of the whole company managed to align against that objective because they knew there was a timeline. There was a date after that date, there would be the prices would change. So that kind of brought the company together and everybody kind of was on board and cheering and, you know, from designers to updating the page to the sales team calling all their clients. And so I think sometimes it's a matter of whether you're not remotely or not to work on that kind of a two, three months objective, right? A big one that you want to tell your, 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 your company say, look, we need to do this. We need to hit it. And then people uh, kind of start realizing the urgency because right. otherwise the, the challenge in, in also especially remote operations is that, you know, it's a business as usual. People don't have, don't have the urgency and also in startups, and I've been discussing this morning actually with a founder, is saying, look, exponential growth is uh, is not human. It's counterintuitive, right? So people are not, how to say, uh, used to grow exponentially, right? If you go right, grow like, I don't know, 20% a year, 30% a year, for normal people, that's okay. That's but okay. not for startups, right? No. So you really need to break some barriers and some boundaries here to push people and uh, align them on growing that area getting that to that exponential growth or anyway i would say exponential not exponential but high growth right and this is where very very important to give that challenge and that objective and find people that can align with that right so not everybody will be aligned with this right so and in remote environment is of course is more challenging but now we live online you know everybody can open the indiegogo page and see how many new backers we have so that makes it easier right it's no secrets there so transparency, I think, is also important when you communicate with your team. Be very transparent with what's happening. Update them. The more they know, the more they buy into your vision. Right? The less they know, the more they say, okay, whatever, I don't care. Just do my piece. Right? So the end-to-end -end approach can only happen when you know, you're fully transparent about what's going on. So have you, have you, have you organized your team into smaller uh, parts in order to make the, the work easier for them uh, on a remote basis? Well, obviously you have, uh, so I think that, you know, there, there needs to be a structure behind, right? So I think roles needs to be clear. And, and I think small things like regular touch points and even things like using the video, what we realized is that we had many calls where people were present, but they probably were doing something else, right? Or like writing an email at the same time. So their attention was not there, right? And this is because their camera was not on. Right. So some of the things we're trying now to implement that if we do have a meeting means it's relevant for everybody that is in that meeting. So please put your camera on. So it means that you're actually present, right? Yeah. Not just like listening in, but doing some other stuff. Right. So, so I think those are things that, you know, those are a few takeaways that we had in terms of organizing work. I think, you know, we just follow whatever structure we have. So we don't have any particular new methods of organizing it. Uh, but I think this is more on the communication side on, you know, being present and feeling that, look, you're not alone and, and output driven culture. At the end of the day, I don't care if people do their job in one hour and then they chill for for 10 hours. It's okay yeah. for me as yeah. long as they, they deliver to, to the expected result, right? Yeah, yeah. It's funny because uh, we had uh, Florian, Florian Hall, you know him also yeah. on the podcast. Uh, and then we were talking about similar thing is like the power of campaigning within your team and especially when we're talking about remote working I mean everybody loves a party right and the more we can make small little parties into our business and the party is the synonym of K 
campaigning. So just like you have your Indiegogo campaign, right? You have other small breaks where the team collectively is working around and it's all mini events in your business that, that really moves the needle uh, faster forward. And it also gives a sense of achievement, right? I mean, rather than having a very, I mean, if every day would be the same, nobody would be very excited. And because people sitting already at home anyway, they are getting very boring. So a little bit of an excitement that they feel that they are collectively working to the same goal through campaigns and media events within the company is, uh, is very, yeah. very powerful stuff. Yeah. Very true. I, I think very true. And this is why you kind of need to set up like something new every two months, at least to make people a lot, kind of get them something new, right? What I, I think kills productivity and enthusiasm is the, the routine that is not exciting, right? And sometimes, yeah, you need to do that. But how do you package it? How do you package it to your team might be different, right? You can say, okay, we're from now on, we're going to be doing uh, every day, you know, phone calls to get new clients, telesales, right? boring right same thing but then if you say look uh we you know how about we have this uh you know target that we need to achieve and then we you know you know something happens so let's just focus on these two months then i can rotate you to a different job scope whatever right doesn't matter but it kind of gives you that different flavor which is uh which might you know be very different for for the employees right yeah yeah hey and talking the last thing before we close down uh, about remote you have just again remotely closed another deal right um, we can keep it this close in who it is but um, how did you manage that so we were talking about remote working and now you're closing remote deals as well without even seeing the investors right so um, can you share a little bit more with the listeners i think it, it is more difficult when you just start and just become an entrepreneur it becomes slightly easier when you already built several businesses right and uh, you know so what i what i think is easier from several perspectives first of all usually you you know what you're talking about <laughs> right before when you just started when i started my entrepreneurial journey when i was 27 it was a bit different i i thought i knew what i was doing but uh, it was uh you know it's still you're very green so it, you know yeah. you need to go through that experience uh, secondly, also you you managed you know I think is self self branding and the reputation is important, right? For from founders, from investors, from everybody in the community, right? Yeah. So I think it's important to build that uh, reputation that kind of uh, you know make sure that people see you as a you know reputable person and a serious one and you know, and I think that makes things also easier. Uh, but then also look in in even in doing fundraising talks with investor, I realized that when you have one to one conversations. It, you know, over the phone can be very dry, right? Because sometimes people don't even, you know, have their camera on. I noticed that. Yeah. And then it will be like extremely dry and uh, you will not be able to to connect, right? So even how you pitch online is very different than how you pitch offline. Uh, if you pitch offline, the, the connection element is a lot easier because you feel the person, you see their reactions and that. So I think uh, also here, you know, uh, it's very different. You need, first of all, you try to at least get the camera on yourself and the person who is next, uh, you know, you're talking to, incentivize them to switch it on to create that connection. <laughs> Give so them a free yeah. No, no, because otherwise it's like, uh, it's, it's very difficult, right? If you don't see who's on the other way, you don't know whether he's, you know, he's bad to half asleep or he's like fully on, right? Following you. So I think, uh, I think the way you kind of pitch online is, is also can be very different right so they use your chats send links see you know uh, make it more interactive right there are some some advantages right because you can easily share your screen uh and you know show them something quick or send a new link 
so I think there is the interactivity part, which is important. The sharing screen is important. Uh, the camera is important. So I think all these elements, you know, if you sum them up, you can do a pretty good job, even probably better. Uh, and you can be a lot of efficient, right? You can have 20 meetings in a day, as long as you you schedule them, you don't you're sitting on your table. You don't need to travel from one to another. Uh, I, I, I'm a strong advocate on that. Uh, I believe at least the first two meetings, you know, you should be perfectly fine to run them through services like Zoom. Um, and then as well, the, the fact of building the reputation and building the relations beforehand, so you're not completely new and people can do a quick Google and do a quick check in with others and your numbers, your data rules really make sense. Yeah, then it's typically putting the, the ball on the soccer field and just hit the home run, right? Correct, correct. Correct. Cool, man. So we have uh, had a, a very nice uh, time to spend. Uh, I think very valuable for everyone who has been listening here, um, learning about remote working, reinventing yourself during COVID times. Uh, checking out what's the best strategies to set you up for winning, uh, the team campaigning, a super valuable session. Is there anything that you specifically would like to add as a, as a last kicker, you know, to, to give everybody some piece of advice? Well, look, I think that the, the, the piece of advice is, uh, you know, never stay still, right? So I think, uh, you know, there's, uh, you, you always, you know, your, your, your movement, your, you're keeping on trying to do new things and uh, it, it always helps. It always brings results eventually, right? So I think that, you know, some people might be discouraged by this pandemic or might lose their jobs and uh, I think might be a bit in a, in a situation of, okay, it's all bad, I don't know what to do and, you know, and they just give up, right? So I think it's important that you never give up, right? You constantly try new things, whether it's, you know, doing, you know, webinars and, you know, doing some marketing while you are waiting for the business to pick up or even doing a new business. So I think the key message is, you know, don't stay still, right? Uh, you know, the world goes on in whatever way it is. And there, there are plenty of opportunities out there. Just grab them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, true pleasure that you, that you was our guest today. Um, very likely we will posted already next week. Uh, for those of you who want to get their hands on one of those amazing uh, wearables and be you know, at the stepping stone of a new movement when it comes to feeling safe and maybe even later as well, uh, enjoy Pouch Nation and Pouch Pass uh, on events, feel free to go to Indiegogo and uh, yeah, take your advance out of it. Ilya, and enormously thank you very much. Uh, looking forward to connect with you soon in real life here in Bali, otherwise in Singapore. And I will catch up with you soon. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Cool. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you guys for tuning in today at the Founder Stripe podcast. I truly hope you have found some inspiration and the golden nugget so you can leverage this to lift your founder's game. By the way, if you want to stay updated about our weekly releases, then please hit the subscribe button so you will never ever need to miss out and choose which one of the guests you can tune into. If you're planning to raise capital for your startup and would love to discover if you are fundraise ready, if your startup has what it takes, then please take our free signature fundraise quiz where we will benchmark your answers against our nine-step date your investor framework. As a result, you'll receive a 20-page tailor-made recommendation report to be better tomorrow. Want to find out more? Go to 
www.thestartupchef.com www.thestartupchef.com Thanks for listening and I hope to see you in the next episode.